live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I'm going to start with the Dallas Cowboys because one of the biggest free agents of the NFL offseason is still a free agent as of this morning. However, that has not stopped lots of fan bases from spending lots of time obsessing over where Odell Beckham Jr. is going to end up. OBJ, of course, is still recovering from blowing out his ACL in the Super Bowl. And he's been courted by many teams around the NFL. However, this week, the Cowboys went public with their recruitment. As an example, no less an authority, no less a persuasive figure as Micah Parsons tweeted, man, OBJ, talk to me at OBJ. Let's do this bleep with three exclamation points. And trust me, when I say persuasive, my man Micah can be extremely persuasive. I experienced it firsthand when he handed me some disgusting, spicy pizza on Radio Row back in February and essentially coerced me into eating it. This is the spicy challenge, not the sissy challenge. Wait, I I need to see the gift card. Dude, are you done with that? Why don't you just dump that whole bottle on that? Can we get a gift card on the table? I need to see the money on the table. $20 right now. That ain't ain't enough, dude. That ain't enough. How about you put that watch on the table? (laughs) So my man, it was part of this spicy pizza challenge, and he was dumping the entire bottle on that pizza. I immediately started to break out in a profuse sweat. So Micah's got it. Micah is persuasive. But maybe not the most persuasive individual even in the organization, right? Still not quite like having Jera himself professing his love in public for OBJ the way he did. Which is exactly how Jera gets down and exactly what he did yesterday on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Jera made it pretty damn clear he wants, no, he needs to see OBJ in a Cowboys uniform. Odell is someone that uh, uh, we have all the appreciation in the world for what he is as a competitor. Uh, and uh, uh, I know that uh, uh, the Cowboys star on that uh, helmet, when he puts it on, uh, uh, could look pretty good. All right, so that right there is a pretty clear-cut open recruitment blitz. From the best player on the team... And the boss himself. Generally, Jera fantasizes about trips to the Little Rock Airport. Or about leaving 20% of himself on Bourbon Street. 20% of me has been left on Bourbon Street. (laughs) Or about the glory days. Glory hole days. This time, though, he's locked in. He's fantasizing only about one dude, Odell. And it does make sense. Dallas needs a pass catcher. Dallas needs a wide receiver right now. And really not that much else. Like a healthy OBJ could make them a legitimate contender if they're not already. Which is why the other thing Jarrett said in that interview on the fan in Dallas was not as smart, not as persuasive. Here was his answer on whether or not he had any concerns about artificial turf versus natural grass when it comes to injuries. Not at all. And it's not because uh, we have uh, 
the uh, surface that we have. Uh, our stats, our league stats, don't see issues uh, with uh, the type of surface that uh, we have uh, as opposed to natural gas. We don't see issues. No facts bear that out. Uh, uh-huh. Let's go ahead and put aside for a second that this is the same dude who said as recently as six years ago that it's, quote, absurd, end of quote, to suggest that current data shows a link between football and CTE. What do you mean? Jarrah is not exactly on the cutting edge of medical science when it comes to player safety. That's not news. Nobody expects next-level medical insight from a dude who will lecture you about circumcising a mosquito. Circumcising the mosquito. Or gives this advice about what to do if you almost sever your own hand off. Your hand was almost severed off. Like, I don't know exactly what the league data says. They're pretty careful about that. But I do know this data. I do know that Odell Beckham shredded his ACL on artificial turf nine months ago. And then two months ago, after Sterling Shepard went down with the same injury on the MetLife Stadium turf, OBJ tweeted the following, quote, Just get rid of it all together, bro. Billions made off this game. I can't understand why we can't play on grass. That bleep is rough. Prayers up from my brother. Bleep just hurt my heart. End of quote. So, Jerry, it would seem pretty apparent. If you really want Odell, maybe this is not the best time to go viral with a proclamation about the safety of artificial turf. I don't think OBJ wants to hear about your data as it relates to that right now. I think he wants to tell your data to shove it. I think your fans want to tell you to shut the hell up about that. Now is not the time to be pushing that agenda. In fact, if ever, if you ask me. I mean, get your priorities straight, Jera. You're on a tight schedule here. My schedule. A tight schedule. My schedule. You can either be cheap about replacing that turf field in that monumental shrine to your ego, or you can try to woo OBJ one thing at a time, Jarrah. Like, personally, I'll never understand this. Given how much money you invest in your product, and your product is your talent, and there's a 100% injury rate in the game already, why would you not do everything in your power to protect and enhance that investment? I've never understood this. Because why? It's too expensive to plant and maintain grass? It seems to me it's too expensive not to. Like, I was the opposite for so long. I thought the turf back in the day looked like crap from my backyard. And you know why I thought that? Because it did. It looked like crap. It felt like crap. It was like going to the driving range way back in the day when you'd hit balls off that artificial, fake, busted up, torn up, crap turf from like the 80s. That's what it looked like in my backyard. I would never go for that. AstroTurf with the seams in it. I mean, just terrible stuff, right? So what I would do is, I digress, but what I would do is I would throw down mad 
crazy, stupid Jack for real grass because it looked mad, crazy, real badass. It was amazing. It looked amazing. It felt amazing underfoot. And it was all good. And so every freaking gopher and squirrel and rabbit and rodent and deer and rat ate it or pissed on it or took a dump on it. And then you got to keep replacing it. And then it's a nightmare and it's so expensive. So finally, when we moved and we tractored the entire backyard of the house we live in right now, I finally looked at the product again and I went with the fake over the real and it was the best decision ever. Like, because it's gotten so much better over the years, right? So now it looks outstanding. It's great to walk on. It's cost effective. So I am the opposite of what every NFL owner, especially Jarrah, should be looking to do. I pulled out the real to put in the fake. Jarrah needs to pull out the fake to put in the real. Because I know for a fact I will never suffer a non-contact injury kicking it in the backyard with Cody the Ragdoll Legend poolside. I don't have to worry about that. I know I won't. I know I won't. I know I won't, and neither will the cat. However, I don't have to recruit talent to come to my backyard and hang out with me. NFL owners do. Jera, shake yourself. Wake up. Shake yourself. Wake up. But you know me. I'm always looking to lift people up and not put them in the ground. So at least give the old man this. He, he may not be making sense, and he might be saying the wrong thing at the wrong time as he's trying to recruit OBJ, who he badly wants, but he's still not the single most incoherent owner in the NFL this week. At least he didn't try to put Odell in the upper quartile or talk about how sausage is made or talk about rocket ships and Mars or the CIA. I'll give Jared that much. You want to bet against this guy? Put your money down, people. <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see it. You know, because I, I, I know what, what he's about, and, and so does Chris. And, and uh, yes, there's a maturation curve. Shula was 32 years old. He had three nondescript years with the Detroit Lions before he took over the reins in 1963. No, the game is not different. We don't build rockets to go to Mars. We're not nuclear scientists. That is none of our jobs here. It's a very simple job that we do here. I've never seen a dude try to speak or sound so authoritative while talking so far out his ass. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of highlight, spelled J-A-I-A-L-A-I, originating in the Basque region of Spain. And played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s. Highlight is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighLightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store.
The sport with its intensity and athleticism is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com. Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. I mean, are you kidding me about that? But you know what the amazing thing is? He goes, you want to bet against this guy? You want to bet against this guy? You <laughs> go right ahead. It. You go right ahead. You know what the amazing thing Love is? They it. are taking money. The line has moved. It was six and a half, and now it's six. Clearly, people are buying into Jeff Saturday more than the Raiders, or at least some of that money is. Crazy. I've got thoughts on the Raiders, too, a little bit later on. Just to finish this thought. I love the way he's laughing at us. Like, hey, you want to bet against this guy? <laughs> Go right ahead. Feel <laughs> free. Come on. It. Give me your money. Love, love to, to see it. it. Love to see it. <laughs> I love that laugh. That should go on your laugh track. Yeah, that's your laugh track, Albie. Far be it for me to tell you what to do, but that is a great laugh. <laughs> so, anyway, no, I mentioned that it was kind of a hard day to figure out what to lead with, even on an old school audio only day. There was no NBA last night, no clear-cut lead story. We're still waiting on an update on the Buffalo Bills, or nearly that might be it. So I figured I would lob and throw a bone to Jera and America's team. Yeah, because in a way, since I had to rip that title back from Cleveland, maybe it does revert back to Dallas, America's team. Speaking of America, so... So, first of all, Alvy, how did election day go for you? We talked about this yesterday off the air. Uh, yeah, I know, James, in Portland, erection day. All right, so if I were being real, I would have rather started about the state of our nation. And I am careful about matters of such. Matters such as election day. Or in the case of Alvin, Erection Day. Come on! Anyway. Thanks, James. Anyway, there is a lot going on. A lot of significant issues at the table. Numerous concerns. Real things that have a major impact, not only today, but in the future. That will affect, affect our children. And our children's children. Frankly, I feel like we're a desperate nation. And the people we need to lead us perhaps are not doing what they should do. If you know what I'm getting at, I'm glad. Because we are like minds. And we are about what's best for our families. And I think I know a person. A person who might in fact be the one to lead our nation in these most difficult times. Can you say it with me? All together now. I am willing to draw a line in the sand. I will put my foot down. I will take a stand. What we need is hides a gun in a raw chicken guy. The stops a bird from taking flight at Fort Lauderdale. Hollywood International Airport after it was caught packing heat. And we're talking about a chicken, an uncooked hen to be specific, and it was stuffed. Yeah, but not like a Thanksgiving turkey. Instead, TSA agents found a handgun hidden inside. 
The TSA has not said if anyone was arrested, but they want to remind everyone out there that you can only transport unloaded firearms in a locked, hard-sided container as checked baggage only. Wait, you can't carry a Glock onto a plane in an unlocked, fleshy chicken? Wow. So we're not on TV right now, but in Florida, no way. In Florida, some Mensa tried to hide a handgun in a raw chicken. That's what I'm talking about. What, you mean x-ray machines can, can see through chicken skin? Salmonella does not work like lead or some dense metal. You want change. You need somebody with a vision. Somebody with ideas. There's your man. Who as of that report has not been apprehended? That had to have been, wait for it, chicken man. I, I can't carry this bazooka onto an airplane hiding in a duck. Wow. Tommy gun turducken. What do you, I, I can't carry this. I, I have to empty out my turducken before I get on. I thought I was allowed six ounces of turducken. What are you talking about? Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Wild Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried-out, tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper Witcher beef. Not even going to hide it. Listen, I'm always fired up anytime anybody says yes to appearing on the program, right? They're giving up their time. They're making a commitment. I appreciate that. I respect that. It means a great deal to me, but I'm not going to hide it. I'm especially fired up for this. We are joined now by the manager of the Miami Marlins. He was named Skipper on October 25th. He had an 11-year career as a major league player. He won the World Series a couple of times with St. Louis. He famously played his college ball at the power that is UC Santa Barbara, where, among other things, he did hit 401 year. Skip Schumacher is my guest. Skip, it is so good to have you on. How are you? What an intro. I appreciate you having me on as well. That's awesome. Skip, it is so good to have you. Listen, at least at the very top, I'm not even going to pretend to be objective or professional. We are all proud to be Gauchos, products of UC Santa Barbara. I could not be more pleased with the career you had as a player, and now that you're getting a shot as a major league manager as well. From one Gaucho to another, I think it's absolutely awesome. How does it feel? It feels incredible. You know, I, I did not think this was going to come. You know, we were... Um in St. Louis, I was planning on going to the World Series, right? And after one weekend of Wheeler and Nola, I'm uh, 
I'm at, back at home on a Monday and I get a phone call and, um, you know, went through that process with Kim and her staff and it happened quick and just super excited to be a part of this thing and uh, can't wait to get going. Skip Schumacher is joining us. Skip, I'm going to uh, go back to the Gauchos for one second in a moment, but you mentioned Kim. When you look around Major League Baseball, I think the most would say that you getting an opportunity to manage was not a question of if, but it was a matter of when. So what was it about that time you spent with the Marlins and the organization that made you feel like this was the right time and the right opportunity? Yeah, you know, I have a young family back in Southern California, 14 and 12-year-old, and I wanted to make sure that they were on board with me leaving. As you know, the the baseball life is not the easiest life in the world, and, um, you know, I tried it for one year in St. Louis being away, and it worked out great. Um, They came all the time, and, you know, when I sat down with Kim and her staff, it just felt right, and um, I wanted, if I was going to do this, I wanted to be around good people and that were ready to win, and... I'm used to winning. I was got lucky in St. Louis for a long time, was in San Diego, was in L.A., and got used to winning, and um, that's no different here. And when they started talking about winning and not a rebuild situation, then I was all ears and, uh, you know, obviously was ready to jump. Marlins manager Skip Schumacher is joining us. You know, Skip, obviously coming up with St. Louis and having spent so much time in that system, you are quite familiar with the so-called Cardinal way. And it's kind of a culture that's respected around Major League Baseball. So when you come into this situation, do you bring that with you or maybe do you bring parts of that and fold it into what becomes the Marlins way? Yeah, you try to bring bits and pieces of every organization that you've been a part of. Luckily for me, I was in St. Louis for 12 years as a player and one as a coach. And, you know, they've won for 15 straight years since John Mosaic has been there. And, I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. So you, you try to mimic a lot of what they do. And the best thing I can tell you is, you know, Ollie Marmel said it last year, is they have a culture that either they build you up or they push you out. And it's an all-in kind of situation there. And if you're not all-in and you don't buy in, then you're out. And um, that's kind of what I would bring in uh, – in Miami, you know, this coming year and the following years um, is kind of build that culture where it's, it's all in, there's accountability, and or you're out. And um, so I'm looking forward to, to establishing that. Skip Schumacher is joining us. Skip, I would imagine, like most players, when you're playing the game, you probably think to yourself, if I were manager, I would run the clubhouse like this. Well, the fact is now you are manager. So what's your approach for running the clubhouse going to be? Yeah, I think building a really good, high-character, high-quality staff. Um, that's number one. I think when you have that kind of culture where it starts from the top and you can um, hold guys accountable from in the same, their same messaging, the same alignment, high-character guys that are, you're surrounded with, I don't think you let anything slide. And, um, you know, one thing in St. Louis, what we had is, you know, we won the inches, right? We didn't lose anything. We we're super prepared, and that's what I expect from the staff. And then that translates into the preparation and the alignment with the player. You know, we don't let anything slide. We're going to hold you accountable. And we expect you to, when you enter the the clubhouse, you're expected to win. And how are you going to help us win today? Yeah, I was going to say, and I'm guessing that's every single day. I love it. It seems kind of self-evident, Skip, but that line, we won the inches. I like that. What does that mean? Well, we're detailed. You know, nothing's going to keep us, you know, catch us off guard. And, um, you know, we're, I know the other team on the other side is going to be super pre- prepared as well, but I don't want to get caught off guard. I don't want to get our staff caught off guard. Um, and so we're going to study, and just like the other team's going to study, but I want our players to understand what winning looks like and what winning baseball looks like to me is, is good base running, uh, timely hitting, and really good pitching. And luckily I'm entering a, a team that has really, really good pitching, and 
um, a staff that's going to be prepared as, as anybody. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. I know you know about it because the second I got mine and I started talking about it, people were rushing up on me like they knew. They wanted to talk about it. It's because the egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. I'm telling you, you can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. Yes, try a pizza on the egg. It will amaze you. It works. It's incredible. So stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. It gets old. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs, too. Listen to me. Roll. With an authentic big green egg, it is a ceramic marvel. It's backed by a lifetime warranty. That's right, a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light. It is easy to use. It works without a power source. You don't have to plug anything in. So with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. How cool is that? And it makes a great gift. And they've got two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered right to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's how I did it. It was an awesome experience. That's BigGreenEgg.com. And yes, you will thank me later. You know, Skip, you mentioned that part of the allure was when you talk to Kim and you talk to the staff, Kim Inc., that they're, they're ready to win. They want to win. This is not a rebuild. They want to win. You're in a tough division. That team did finish in fourth last year. Is it a team that can win right now? I think it is. I mean, if you look at that pitching staff, I know as an opposing team when we went into Miami, you look and you got Sandy and Pablo and Lizardo, and you're just like, you know, what in the world? How are we supposed to hit? These guys are all throwing 100 miles an hour. Sandy's probably going to win the Cy Young this year. Um, you nobody wants to go to Miami. So that's an advantage. I think getting the other, you know, our offense going is going to be the, the tricky part. But honestly, I think it's not that tricky if we just keep those guys healthy. We lost a lot of games um, because we didn't have our, our guys on the field. Uh, Jazz only had 200 at-bats, and Cooper only had 400 and something at-bats, and Soler was hurt. So if we get our guys healthy on the field, if that if that's a, a point of emphasis in spring training of how we can keep you healthy in 150, 150 games, I think we'll be okay. Marlins manager Skip Schumacher is my guest. Now, Skip, John Smoltz said something really interesting recently. Quote, there are certain players that you can tell when you're playing with them, they've got that mindset that if they ever decided they wanted to manage, they could get that guy. End of quote. Was that the case with you? And if so, when did you first start thinking, I want to manage? You know, when you're a kid growing up, you want to play in the major leagues, right? I never thought, oh, man, at you know, 15 years old that I wanted to manage in the major leagues. But uh, luckily, I was with St. Louis, and Tony La Russa was our manager, or my manager, for a long time. And I, I didn't want to be a bench player, but I was a bench player for a lot of my career. And I got to watch him navigate games, prepare, watch how he um, structured his coaching staff, high-character guys, hard workers, relentless in what they did, and... So I kind of would like started thinking, man, if I got to do this one day, how would I do it? And I started, you know, kind of coaching towards the end of my career, being a veteran player. And um, so, you know, when I retired or the game retired me, I should say, in 2016, uh, AJ Preller um, and Andy Green let me or uh, asked me to join the staff. And I just kind of fell in love with the teaching part of the game and, and the strategy and, um, you know, the metrics and all that stuff and kind of combining the analytic 
side and the old school side. And so I kind of kind of building that um, that plan. If I got to do it one day, this is how it would look. Now, on top of that, you're not saying it, but you're also such an effective communicator. And guys always talk about that. You know, Skip, it seems to me it, it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do in any walk of life. You're going to remember your formative years Michael Young, Ryan Spielbergs, even Barry Zito and I talk about this. We talk about, you know, and Zito was at UCSB for a short time. I'm curious, what it, when you look back, what did it mean to you to be a gaucho, and what do you remember most about playing ball and being a student at UCSB? Well, first of all, Spilly and Michael Young are two of my best friends still today. Um, so it kind of tells you who, you know, who they get over in Santa Barbara and the high-character guys also that they recruit over there from you know, 20, 30 years ago, they started doing that. I transferred from LMU into Santa Barbara, didn't know anything about Santa Barbara, and that changed my life. Um, not only was the school the right fit, the baseball, the community, the the fan base that was, you know, yelling at people, the opposing team in the outfield, the, um, you know, doing keg stands and <laughs> screaming on, on a megaphone. I mean, it was incredible. The whole experience completely changed my life, changed the landscape of my career, and uh, I couldn't be more grateful that Bob Ronsma, who was the head coach at the time, gave me a shot. I mean, Skip, when I was there, I'm much older, but when I was there, the Hammerheads were legendary. I mean, these guys would carry couches from DP, and I've never seen anybody ride opposing players the way they did back in the day. One last thought. I could not be more pleased with the baseball program there right now or the fact that we've been able to hold on to Andrew Checkets as our head coach. You're a major league manager. You played 11 years in the major leagues. You've been to the World Series, won the World Series. What do you make of Check's baseball acumen, and how lucky then are we to have him still? Yeah, I mean, I think every year you think he's going to, you know, a, a USC job opens up or some big name school opens up. You think, oh, man, Check is gone. And he just keeps, you know, another contract, another contract. He stays there. There's this sense of loyalty. The guy produces big leaguers, right? Every year there's a first-round arm that comes out of there that, you know, uh, you know, us in St. Louis got in McGreevy a few years ago. Um, so what he has done, his recruiting, um, he takes chances on guys early and they produce. He knows how to develop. It's become a powerhouse in the Big West. And uh, couldn't be more proud to be an alumni there. Love it, Skip. One last thought. What about the Marlins? You mentioned Tony Larusa. Also, Don Mattingly has raved about you. He was an incredible player, obviously, and you had time to watch him up close as a manager. What did you respect most about Donnie Ballgame as a manager? Yeah, Donnie was my manager in, in L.A. And um, what I thought, you know, the communication part, what you just spoke upon a few minutes ago, Donnie was a player's manager, and I took that to heart. I loved playing for Donnie. Um, and I've talked to Donnie since, you know, since I got the job and, you know, what to look for, some red flags, some good things, some bad things, what I have to do to be, you know, take this team to the next step. And, um, but I think the communication part, obviously, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure how he's not a Hall of Famer already. Um, but the communication part, just because he was Don Madeline, the captain, it didn't take away from him, like, communicating to the 25th guy just as much as he communicated to Kershaw, and that meant a lot to me. Skip, one last stop. When you hit 400 at UCSB, what was that year like? I mean, what was the ball a beach ball? Were you in a zone the entire year? Did you lock in? Like, do you think very much about that year? What was that like? Yeah, no, um, I, you know, I had some, uh, I'll tell you, this is a funny story. I listened to you when I was in college and, and in the minor leagues. I remember you saying on one of your uh, uh, um, radio shows that said, our will is stronger than your doubt. And people always would tell us that we weren't good enough, 
Fullerton was always, you know, the top dog in the division. And we had a bunch of JUCO guys, some transfers that had some edge. And we just went for it and had no fear. And that quote was in our mind, a lot of our minds. But it came from me because I listened to your show and we kind of ran with it. And yeah, it was, I hit 400 as a leadoff hitter, but we were we couldn't wait to take the field together and win. And um, and so that's what I took most out of that year. Skip, that's incredible. I did not ask you that knowing that that was the answer. That That is an amazing story that you just shared. Listen, could not be more pleased and more proud of you as a fellow Gaucho. So glad you made the time today, Skip. Have a great, great time. Good luck with all of that. And I know I'll run you down again. Great job, Skip. Yeah, thanks. Huge fan. Thanks for having me on, Jim. You got it, Skip. All right, so I have used antiperspirant sticks for years, but what is amazing about Dove Men Dry Spray is that it feels light and clean on your skin, and it's also quick and easy to use, and it's great for topping up when you're on the go. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48, I said 48, 48 hour sweat and odor protection. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin and it is so quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains... Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect it. Win, win, win. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Greg Berhalter. Greg, it is great to have you on. How are you? Hey, Jim. How's it going? Great, great. So, you are getting ready to announce the 26-player roster for the World Cup, Greg. That starts later this month at Qatar. Obviously, a great deal of excitement and anticipation. What have the last couple of weeks been like for you, and how excited are you to announce your selections? We're really excited. Um, it's been a tough last couple of weeks uh, with the staff, you know, being really thorough, evaluating all the players, really um, taking it seriously because some guys' dreams are going to be crushed by the, by the fact that they're not on the team. And then just trying to get the right balance. You know, we've worked hard these last four years of creating a great team atmosphere, a great team environment, and now it's about going to put our, our practice into work. So, Greg, I wonder about that. Like, how challenging was it to get to these 26? And then how would you describe the process you and your staff had for doing so? You know, it, it was it was challenging, um, you know, especially considering that, um, you know, what we're looking for is is the best possible players for this moment. And what that meant is some guys that have played a big role for us um, in the past, in the last four years, you know, didn't get included on because we thought some other guys were in better form currently. And that's always a difficult decision. Um, but the staff has been watching these guys play every single week. We're evaluating what they've done for us in the past, watching what they're doing for their clubs, and then, and then coming up with a balanced roster that we think can be successful. Greg Berhalter is joining us. So, Greg, I wonder, two weeks out, what kind of headspace are you personally in? For instance, is it one of concern, or are you approaching this as an unbelievable opportunity? It's definitely a wonderful opportunity. You know, Jim, I remember one of our first conversations when I got named coach on the show, you know, talking about what we wanted to do together um, with this group. And now we're in position to do it. And so it's a pure opportunity for this team. We have a talented team, a young team, and um, we're ready. We're, we're, we're really excited about our young team and we're ready to go. 
Greg Berhalter is joining us. You know, I wonder if you take that one step further. Are you looking at it, Greg, as an opportunity, not just for the young group or the program, but maybe to grab the attention of the nation, maybe even captivate a nation and do well enough that you carry that momentum right on through to 2026? Yeah, exactly. And that's where the responsibility of it comes in. You know, we're, we're or the whole team, the players, the staff are really taking this seriously in terms of how we can use this momentum and, and really get the nation behind us. So it is a big responsibility. Um, but for us, it's, it's about just being focused on the moment, focused in the present, um, taking one game at a time. You know, really looking at this as two tournaments. We have a, a group stage tournament where we need to be in the top two to move on to earn the right to play in this knockout tournament, and that's when it gets exciting. We're talking to Greg Berhalter, so why don't we talk about that, Group B, and you start with Wales, and then you move on to a couple of really, well, it's all really challenging, but then you got a couple of really challenging tests with England and Iran. What kind of thoughts do you have generally, Greg, when you look at that group overall? It's, I think it's underrated. I think people are underestimating just how physical this group is going to be. You know, Wales is a team where all their players either play in the Premier League, um, League One in France, or the Championship in England. So very physical team. Then you have England, of course, who, who I think sets the bar for physicality in, in the world of soccer. And then finally, Iran is an experienced team that's been in the World Cup before mo- most of their players. They're in last World Cup. So they know what this is about, and um, I, I think it's going to be a re- really tricky group. Talking to Greg Berhalter, he's going to announce the team a little bit later on today. I guess then again, you look at that, I mean, that all makes sense to me. But then again, when was the last time the group games went as expected, like ever? Exactly. Isn't that the beauty of the World Cup? That is. Uh, you know, and anything that we think is going to happen now probably won't happen in the World Cup. So again, for us, it's just being focused on on the present and not getting too high after winning a game and not getting too low after losing a game. Just staying staying focused on what what the next challenge is. So the next challenge is Wales. You talked about that briefly, but Greg, when you study them, what do you see? What concerns you the most about them? What do they do best? So it, it's a, a very well organized defensive team, right? So for any coach, that that's a challenge when you're when you're planning to break down a. Um, a strong defensive unit and then to add to that they have really good speed on the counterattacking. so you know if we do have the ball in that game um, we're going to have to be aware of, of what happens next when they win it because they have some really fast guys up top that can hurt you if you get unbalanced Talking to Greg Berhalter, you mentioned England, of course, for those who know the sport. The U.S. shocked England way back in 1950, the World Cup, and then held them to a draw in 2010 in another famous match. In fact, what do you personally remember about that match in 2010? It was it was a back-and-forth match, but I just remembered the, the resiliency of our team, um, you know, to hang in there, and, and we scored first, and then we ended up, um, giving up conceding a goal. But just to hang in there to get the point was was a big moment for us, and I think ultimately that's what led us to, to, to getting out of the group. So in the World Cup, you know, every single play is important, every goal is important, and um, – you know, the players need to be focused and fully concentrated in every moment. You know, Greg, you mentioned that when you and I first spoke, when you got that opportunity, you talked about some of the things you wanted to build and you wanted to create. And I know you as a former athlete and as somebody who's a huge, huge sports fan, you know that some of the best teams are, I don't want to say player-led, but they, they have equity, right? They have ownership in the thing. Yep. How important was that, especially when your players are spread out, that they had that kind of equity and ownership as you went about building the culture? How did you approach that? 
Yeah, that was really important that we included them in on a lot of the decision-making process because we knew where we were and we knew where we wanted to get to, and there was a gap between that. So we're going to have to ask the players to sacrifice. And I think when you're asking someone to give every single thing they got and more, you know, they want some skin in the game. And so that was that was a big part of it, um, you know, building that culture from within but also fostering the relationships because um, when things get tough, in the end, you need guys that care about each other and, and they want to go to battle for each other. So how do you do that? How do you foster those relationships when they're off with their clubs and they're doing their thing and you're not always with them as opposed to other sports when you live with that team every single day? Yeah, that, that's the challenge of a group that you don't have together all the time, but you have to make, um, you have to make the moments together count. And so – we would be intentional about planning, you know, events outside of soccer. You know, we went to go see NASA, the, the control center where they, um, when they first landed the, the, um, the, the space, the people on the moon. Um, we went to military ex Navy SEALs stuff, doing, doing things with the Navy SEALs. Um, we did cooking competitions together, really trying to foster those bonds that, that last um, a lifetime. So I'm fascinated by that. I know we've got about a minute or two left. You know, I love the Navy SEALs, Greg. I love, I study these guys. I read these guys. How did your guys respond to them and how did the SEALs respond to the team? Well, I'll give you a story for the show. I think it would be pretty cool. Great. So we do the log carry um, as a group. And this, this, this will show a lot about the, our guys on the, on the team. We split up into teams, and, and we, what we didn't do was divide by height. We just divided into teams, and then we, we carried the log, you know, one and a half miles on the beach, this, this huge log. We get to the midway point, and we get water, and, and I'm trying to drink water. I'm doing it as well. And we get these plastic cups filled with water, and I can barely lift the plastic cup filled with water. I had to attach it to my mouth and tilt my head backwards. That's how sore my arms were. But we get to the midway point, and the guy says, listen, you guys are doing this all wrong. You're not, you're not doing this right. You need to balance out by height, and then you could be more effective carrying. And our guy said, you know what? We set the teams up. We'll finish this way as well. And then we raced back. And these guys were absolutely killing themselves. And we get to the end, and we finish, and the guy goes, I'm not going to name this team now, though, but the, the, the instructor goes, you know, we had an NFL team that did it, and they got to the halfway point. You know what they did? He said, what? He goes, they quit. They stopped. They said they're not doing it anymore. And he goes, and he couldn't believe the resilience and the mentality in our group. And I think that says a lot about the guys. Uh, I think that's an amazing story, and that had to carry with you until this moment, and probably even onto the pitch, right? Absolutely. And I still look back on my phone of the pictures of that event. It was pretty insane. I'll send you one of the pics. Oh, yeah, definitely do that, please. All right, so last thought, what are your top priorities and concerns for the next two weeks as you get ready for the U.S. squad making its first World Cup appearance in over eight years? First thing is getting getting over there, getting over the jet lag, getting acclimated to, to the environment there. And then the second thing would be preparing the, the group for that first game, staying in the moment, do, doing the preparation, um, coming up with a game plan that can help us um, beat Wales. I know you will follow up, but definitely send me that pick or those picks. Yep. I want to see that. You've got the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. He's got a major announcement later on today where he sets the roster and makes it public, came on here first. Greg, appreciate you. Proud of you. Great to have you on the show. Good luck, and you know we'll be watching. Thanks for everything you do, Jim. Appreciate you too. it. Sup. Sup, Chowd Nation. How my fellow Chowds living right now? Well, fellow half-Chowds. Of course, I am Chowd on my father's side. I'm no cow. 
much to my chagrin on my mother's side. I had no idea until recently. Anyway, half-child brethren, if I had to guess, I'm guessing right about now, I know how you are. Pissed off. Pissed off about the state of your beloved Patriots offense. And right about now, probably not so high on Matt the Pencil. In fact, if I had to guess, you're ready to not only run the pencil out of town on a rail, but you probably want to fight that Ticonderoga as well. Am I right, half fam? Am I right, half fam? Half a family. I'm going to make fun of that guy. I had a take yesterday on Brian Kelly. He can say whatever he wants, however he wants, sound. He can have a new accent for every week for all I care now. After what he did in beating the dictator in Bama. So you get anywhere near a Pats fan for more than two seconds right about now, and I'm guessing you're going to hear a rant something like that. And Pats fan is not wrong. I'm talking about the Ticonderoga. Pat's fan is not wrong. Here it comes. I went back old school. Not only old school audio only, but I broke the almonds out for the first time in several months. Pat's fan's not wrong because right now Pat's offense is ass. And it's getting worse by the week. Through nine games, New England is 26th in scoring offense which, as Jim Ursay would say, puts them in the lower quartile of the NFL. At least it's not the bottom quartile of the lower quartile, but still it's not good. In fact, below not good. Below not good. Top but, quartile of that upper quartile. But you know who is in the bottom quartile of the lower quartile? My dude, Mac Jones. In fact, Mac currently has the 32nd best passer rating and a TD to INT ratio of 4 to 7. That's not good. That's definitely below not good. Below not 4 to good. 7. Pretty obvious that he has regressed under this coaching. Carson Wentz cannot believe Max regression. In fact, over the past two games, the Pats offense has been outscored by the Pats kicker. The Pats' offense overall has been outscored by the Pats' kicker 30-12. to 12. How's that for a ratio? That's an actual thing, a real stat. The Pats have scored two offensive TDs in the last two games, while Nick Folk has smacked through nine field goals. He is their offense. Good news is, the kicker is on fire. And thanks to the kicker, the defense as well, that team is winning. In fact, they've run off somehow, some way, with their offense being that bad and getting worse weekly. They've still won four of their last five. They hit the bye at five and four. They're very much in the hunt, which is exactly why everybody is so obsessed and fixated on New England fixing their offense. Because the offense is so jacked up, it looks like the opposing defense knows what plays are coming. Sort of a lame cliche, right? It's like the defense knows what's coming. Except in this case, it's not a cliche. It's literal. Literally, this is what's happening. It's an accurate description of what's happening somehow. Apparently, the Pats are tipping worse than Lance McCullers in the World Series. And believe me, I understand that's a pretty aggressive claim. 
especially coming from a hood coach team, right? But I'm not making this up. According to a mass live report from after the win over Indy on Sunday, this report raised eyebrows in New England and for good reason. Quote, you know what that is? That's the heel of my shoe. I came back in the studio with my almonds and the heel was off. The hell is going on? I wish we were on camera. I'd show it to you. Here we are. Here we are, and I'm missing half my shoe. Wait, what a weird Wednesday. Anyway, Mass Live. Shoe, shoe, foot, foot, feet, feet. Good job, Alvin Alvin. Mass Live, quote, Following the Patriots' 26-3 win over the Colts, multiple offensive players in the Patriots' locker room could be overheard talking about Shaquille Leonard calling out their play calls. One Patriots starting offensive player said Leonard occasionally called out what the Patriots were going to do on certain plays, such as outside runs and screen passes. End of quote. Yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's not great. In fact, that's actually bad. But, but, it's just a report, right? It's got to be some misunderstanding, right? They won the game going away, right? There's no way Shaquille Leonard was calling out plays before they ran them, right? Yeah, wrong. Because yesterday, the hood man himself hit the podium and actually confirmed the story. Yeah, I thought that there were uh, two or three plays for sure that uh, Leonard uh, really, uh, you know, got a big jump on uh, and and stopped us basically uh, on those plays. Um, you know, Mosley Mosley got a couple of those. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago in the Jets game, it looked like Mosley, you know, almost looked like he heard the play in the huddle. Um, he was on it so fast, and and Leonard had a couple like that too. I mean, who the hell is that? First of all, he did not have his mumble on. Second of all, he was almost chuckling during part of it. And then thirdly, come to find out it was not an isolated incident. He mentioned Mosley did it as well. Did the hood just seriously utter the words, quote, it almost looked like he heard the play in the huddle. End of quote. It almost looked like he heard the play in the huddle. He said that about his own team. Well, the opposing defense, but about his own team. What's more damning than that? It was almost like he heard the play in the huddle. So I guess Matt the Pencil and Joe the Mouth, the offensive consortium, is doing about as well as everybody thought they would, which is not well at all. Horribly, in fact. Like, who the hell saw that coming? Besides the entire planet. It's almost like Matt Patricia isn't actually an offensive coordinator. It's almost like Joe, the leader of men, is not actually a quarterback coach. Oh, that's right. They're not. I mean, isn't the most basic principle of offensive football that you do not want the other team knowing what you're about to do? Is that not pretty much the entire point? 
Is that not why the playbook is a gigantic secret and like the most top secret document in the world? Is that not why you always see guys covering their mouth when they talk? Coaches, players alike. Is that not why they come up with their own vernacular and verbiage to change plays at the line of scrimmage? Yeah, I know. This is all pretty basic stuff, right? And yet the Pats offense apparently is failing in this most basic area on the weekly. Say what you want about Josh McDaniels and the Raiders right now, and you'd be right. They deserve it. I'm going to try and get there. But you got to admit, the Pats missed that dude badly. Replacing that offensive mind with the combined zero knowledge and zero wisdom of Matt the Pencil and Joe the Mouth was always going to go terribly. And it might be going even worse than expected. Where the hell would they be without that defense? Where the hell would they be without that kicker? What's gotten into the hood, by the way? The dude who never says anything just casually admitted that the other team knows what plays are coming. And almost made it sound like he thought it was funny. You could actually hear him chuckle when he said it. Like, yeah, Mosley uh, heard the play in the huddle, huh? Like Mosley, Mosley got a couple of those, um, you know, a couple weeks ago in the Jets game. It looked like Mosley, you know, almost looked like he heard the play in the huddle. Um, he was on it so fast. and Like, there's a little chuckle in there. Like, we're so inept that it's funny to me. It is? I mean, it's funny to all of us. But I would think that you'd be the last guy that would find any humor at that in that at all, Hood. Like, that seven-minute dissertation on the excellence of the Bears was one thing. But this straight-up bizarre Hoodman behavior is another. Unless, unless he's looking to use the media to send a message to the pencil. But since when has he ever used the media for anything other than to take a big dump on? You have a big dump in your pants. I mean, why use the media for that when you can walk right down the hall and say it to the Ticonderoga's face? Like, hey, uh, I want you shape up, Ticonderoga. You Ticonderoga rocking fat ass. You know, they, they know what plays are coming, moron. And you better fix it fast because we're going to have to deal with Mosley again coming off the bye. Like, we can still make the playoffs if you and that other big mouth quarterback coach get your bleep together you know what you do that you do that you get your asses in gear i'm gonna put steven in charge of the offense he can call plays better while he's licking his own face hell at this point nike could put together a better game plan than you two clowns and by the way what are you laughing at radio man don't get me started on you radio man you would think that you learned your lesson questioning me after uh i was right about the bears radio man do I need to give another dissertation? Tell you what, radio man. How about how about you let me coach my idiots and I'll let you do your idiotic radio show, radio man. And stop claiming you're half chowed. You know that's not true. You're full moron. Ha 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 ha. See what I did there, radio man? That's funny. Hey, you say you're half chowed, but in reality you're full moron. Ha ha ha. Hey, you're full dope. How's that grab you? Dope? Man, I'm on a roll. Aren't I radio dope? Ha ha ha. I'm on fire. I'm on fire, radio moron.
You let me coach my idiots, and you uh, you coach yours. And believe me, you've got lots of idiots listening to your show. I've heard it, Radio Man. Mm. Mm. Yeah, all right, whatever you say, Coach. Hey, let me ask you something. So when the Jets were stealing your plays too, was Zach Wilson on the sideline banging on a trash can? Did the D-line all have buzzers taped underneath their jerseys to their chests? Did one buzz mean pass? Did two buzzes mean run? Oh, hey, sidetrack. I digress. Did you guys know that the Astros won the World Series? Anybody know about that? That kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? That kind of snuck up on us all. Boy, you want to talk about burying the lead. You want to talk about getting buried in the pile. Hey, H-Town, how come no one wants to talk about that? Didn't the Astros get vindication? You got vindication. You got your parade. Didn't Mattress Mac make like 75 mil betting the World Series? Major bank. Uh, after everything you went through and heard, none of you want to gloat or anything at all? Or are you just saving it all for the beef segment tomorrow? I'm telling you, the more time goes by, the more I sort of understand Ursay making the decision that he made. The Colts knew the plays that were coming and still got boat raced. How bad would that score have been if they didn't know what plays were coming? They knew what plays were coming, and they still couldn't stop it. From a 5-4 and four team, I probably would have changed out the entire coaching staff if that were the case. <laughs> Love to see it. Good night, night.